Welcome to LifePoint today. Thank you so much for joining in this day with us. If you're here for the first time, my name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. And we would love to meet you after the service. Just come down front when we're finished and say hello. Because on a day like today, I feel like I need to tell some people Merry Christmas because I might not see you again until next year, right? <laughs> Thank you for coming and being here. And if you are here for the first time or maybe church is kind of new to you and because I'm sure in a crowd this size, there's some people who yeah, you're used to church. Maybe you grew up going to church and some people who uh, this, this, is, uh, this is brand new. All the stuff we're doing may seem kind of weird to you. But one thing we can all relate to, no matter how much church we've got in our background, no matter how we were raised, no matter where we are in life, one thing we can all relate to is sometimes life throws unexpected circumstances at us. And then anybody ever have that happen? And something go turn and you're living in a way or doing things or something happened you never thought would happen. Well, if that happens to you, if you find yourself in a new situation where you're not sure what to do, there's a handbook for you. And you can get it on Amazon. It's called the Worst Case Scenario Handbook. And you can look up like, what do I do if I'm stranded on an iceberg? What if I'm in a burning building? How do I hotwire a car? Don't recommend that. But they'll tell you in the, in the worst case scenario handbook, how do you hotwire a car? How do you pick a lock? How do you deliver a baby in the backseat of a cab? How do, you, how do you escape a charging rhino? And in the intro to the book, they say it's, it's, a, it's, it's how to survive some of life's unexpected twists and turns. And my favorite in the book is called How to Jump from a Building into a Dumpster. And it's got a nice little illustration in the book. It's like, how do you do it? This is real. I see you thought I was making it up, didn't you? It's real. Jump straight down. You got to know. If you're going to do it, jump straight down. Tuck your head. Bring your legs around, ex executing a three-quarter somersault. Aim for the center of the dumpster. Now, that's like real. You got to do that. Make sure you hit it. Land flat on your back. And it gives reasons for all that. And it gives this expert tip at the end of this section that says, do not jump into dumpsters filled with bricks, construction debris, or other hard objects. Try another means of egress. Now, you may not ever need to know how to do that. You may never need to know, well, how do I, how do I escape a charging rhino? Or how do I deliver a baby in the backseat of a taxi? That may never be of use to you. But I know that all of us in this room are going to experience unexpected twists and turns in life. You think things are going one way, you think things are perfect, and then all of a sudden, boom, a relationship ends. You feel like everything's okay, and you go into work, and all of a sudden you find out you don't have a job anymore. And you've been taking care of yourself, you feel like things are fine physically, and you go to the doctor, and you get some really bad news. And many other things that could come into our life that's, that are unexpected, that I believe the story of the resurrection gives us hope on how to handle life's unexpected twists and turns. So for about the next 15 minutes, I want to talk to you about, well, how does the resurrection help me deal with my day-to-day -day life? When Jesus was on earth, there was a group of people who traveled with him, his inner circle of disciples. And they watched his ministry. They watched him do wonderful things. They watched him heal. They watched him teach. They believed what he was saying. They left everything to follow him. They even watched him falsely accused, tried, executed, and they watched him die. 
None of them expected it, but it's what happened. There's four books in the New Testament that talk about Jesus' ministry, specifically give details about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament. And we're going to look at one episode from one of Jesus' followers named John. Because what's happening after Jesus died and was buried, they decide that they're going to go to the tomb where they put him, and they're going to do this. It's a ritualistic thing that they're going to do. They're going to anoint his body. They're going to pour spices on it. They're going to, that's how they're going to honor him. It's kind of like going to a funeral. They're going to honor the memory of their Lord. And they show up, specifically this one lady shows up at the tomb named Mary Magdalene. And John the Apostle writes down what happened. Look at the screen. In John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1, it says, Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon, Peter, and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they've taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So she shows up, stone's rolled away, she walks in, she assumes the worst, she goes and gets some of the other followers of Christ and said, there's a problem. I went to pay my respects to my Lord and his body's gone. So they go and investigate and that section of scripture ends with saying, and all the people, all the disciples she went and gathered at the tomb went home. Their worst case scenario had happened. Not only had their teacher been executed, his body had now been stolen and they can't even honor him by giving him a proper burial and then in this story this lady Mary Magdalene takes center stage and starts to have some interaction with other people there if you skip down to verse 11 in John chapter 20 it says this Mary was standing outside the tomb crying and as she wept she stooped and looked in she saw two white robed angels one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Now she goes into the tomb. She's upset because Jesus' body had been stolen. And she sees these two angels. Now angels, if you read in the Bible about angels, they're not like fat little babies with wings and harps. That look, you know, like angelic, right? They're scary beings. Most of the time when people saw angels, they fell over. It scared them to death. But not Mary. This woman is upset. This woman's confused. And so they ask her, why are you crying? We know these must be powerful beings because I live in a house of three women. You got to think really long and hard before you ask a woman, why are you crying, honey? Right? <laughs> Guys, if you're single, just let me give you some advice. You're supposed to know, okay? It's supposed to be this intuitive thing. But somehow our smaller brains obviously can't figure it out. But they ask her, why are you crying? Well, I mean, she's in a cemetery. That's, that's a place where people would cry, right? I've been to a cemetery. I've cried in a cemetery. I've been at grave sites of loved ones and cried. You've probably done the same thing. So why are they asking her why she's crying? Maybe it's because they think she knows something she doesn't know. They clearly have an insight on what's going on and where Jesus' body is. And so they ask her, Mary, why, why are you even crying? And she answers them and says, because they've taken away my Lord 
and I don't know where they have put him. To her, it seemed like it was all over, finished. Her hopes, her dreams, all the things that Jesus did for her, because he had rescued her from probably what was a very sinful lifestyle. And he had saved her and he had forgiven her and she had followed him closely. She became a prominent figure in the ministry of Jesus. And now this Lord that she believed in and followed was dead and she can't even go honor his memory by anointing his body. She's confused and she's alone. Now she had heard Jesus say, If you destroy this body, I'm going to raise it again. She would have heard that numerous times. But she doesn't even stop to consider that maybe what Jesus said came true. Immediately she went negative. Immediately she thought somebody took his body. It's not here. The only thing that could have happened is somebody took it. I cannot believe. Tell me where he is. I want to know. That's why I'm crying because the body of my Lord is missing. Now don't we have the same tendency when things aren't going the way we want? when we're facing a difficult time, when we're hurting, when someone's hurt us or we're confused, don't we face the same tendency that she did to go negative, to think the world's horrible and everybody's against us and think our worst case scenario is coming to be? I mean, how do you handle twists and turns and disappointments and worst case scenarios in your life? Many of us, and I'm guilty of this, I immediately think, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. Why didn't she think, you know, he did say he was going to raise from the dead. Instead, she says, where is he? And you may feel today that you don't have any hope. You may say, I identify with her because I don't have any hope. Because, hey, when I look at my past, I just see regret. I see stupid decisions that have messed me up relationally, that have messed me up physically, or have have messed me up financially. That's what I see. I just got a bunch of regret in my past. And so I don't have any hope because of the mistakes that I've made in my past. Or maybe you're thinking, right now, I am hurting. It's hard to see anything better than, than the hurt that I'm dealing with right now in my life, than the betrayal or the mistakes or whatever it is that right now today, you came in here thinking, Man, I hope they say something, sing something, or show something that's going to help me. That's going to help me to leave and feel better. And some of you might be saying, this is your one shot, buddy, and you better give me something that's going to help me out because I'm dealing with difficult things in life. Or maybe you look out into the future and you're full of fear because you don't know what's going to happen. Maybe you're facing it alone or you're facing it unhealthy or you don't know where your next job is going to come from. Or you don't know if you're ever going to not be single. And you're thinking, yeah, I I can relate to Mary because I don't have any hope either. And then it says this in verse 14. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said... If you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. Now think about this. If she's just an average-sized woman and maybe Jesus was just an average-sized guy, which is probably true, 
An average-sized woman is not going to be able to go get a body, pick it up, and bring it back. But she's not thinking clearly because she's hurting. She's confused. There's chaos going on in her life. And she's not even thinking. She just says, tell me where it is. Tell me where the body is. I'll go get it. Everybody else went home. I'll go get it myself if I have to. And we're like that too. We get in the middle of something that confuses us, that causes chaos. We don't think clearly. I mean, this is Jesus standing right there with her, the one that can offer her hope, the one that can, can bring the brightness back into the day, the one that can say, everything I said was true, Mary, it's me. And, and she doesn't even recognize him. And all along, right in the middle of her hurt and pain, Jesus was right there. And the same is true for you. You may not feel him, but right in the middle of whatever it is you're going through, he's right there. If you have little kids, you can relate to this. When, I, when our kids were little, when I first decided, okay, I, Dad, I'm going to ride the bus to kindergarten. It was like seven, eight miles to school, and I was like, you're not riding the bus. You're my child. It's not going to happen. And if you got young kids, it's not as bad as you think. So the first day comes, she gets on the bus, and as soon as the bus takes off, I get in my car, and I've got this on video. I was holding one of those old video cameras driving, saying my child is on that bus, and I followed her all the way to school the first day, and I watched her from behind a tree. I know it's creepy, but I did. <laughs> from behind a tree, I watched as she went in. Second day, same thing. Pulled over there, watched. She went in, was fine. Third day, I did it. The fourth and fifth day, the whole first week, because I wanted to make sure. Second child gets ready to go to kindergarten. She didn't ride the bus. I drove her to school, drop her off. I walked in and I watched. They may not even know this happened and they're here. I'm probably telling them for the first time. And I watched through the glass, the little glass in the window to make sure she was okay. And I did that until I, was, I felt confident she's okay. I didn't get arrested. Everything worked out okay. And that first one goes away to college this past fall and I was so tempted. In fact, maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I stuck around just to make sure everything was okay. But the point is, even though they didn't know I was there, even though they thought they were approaching this thing all alone, dad was watching. And if somebody would mess with my kid, I would have made myself known like that. Or if they would have been crying or upset, I would have gotten to them as quickly as humanly possible. And they didn't even know it. And you might be facing something where you think you're alone, where you think you just can't take another step. And just like Mary at the tomb that day, Jesus was with her and he's with you whether you feel him or not. And you may feel like, I don't know how I can get through this, but he's with you. Listen to what he did after Mary said, tell me where you've put him, I'll go get him. He simply said one word, Mary. And all of a sudden, whether he said it differently or he spoke in a way, but when she heard her voice spoken by the Lord, which she would have heard many times before, it's kind of like she woke up and she turned to him and cried out, Rabbani, which is Hebrew for teacher. Right in the middle of her pain, of her questions, of even her doubt, she hears this voice and says, that's Jesus. And that this word, when it says she turned, it's not just a physical turn of, I was looking that way, now I'm looking this way. It's this, this idea that she changed her mind. And all of a sudden, in an instant, all of the things that Jesus said was gonna happen came back to her. 
and she embraced him. And she said, my teacher, you are alive. You've been with me the whole time. And listen what Jesus says back to her. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. And Jesus' message was, look, I am here, I love you, and there is hope. And that's the same message we get today. In her worst case scenario, I'm here, you need to know I love you, you need to know there's hope. And if you're one of those people who are thinking, I need something today, I need words, I need something that's going to help me leave feeling better, those same promises are true for you. He's here, he loves you, and there's hope. If Jesus beat death, the one thing that's so final, then nothing in your life, no matter what you think, is really over. You're alive. You're here. So no matter what your worst case scenario is, it's not all over. And you might think, wait, that was 2,000 years ago. Jesus was literally there. It was a literal and physical thing. And, and of course, but how does that work for me today when I'm trying to make the money stretch and I'm trying to face life alone for the first time? How does that work? Well, just a couple of decades after what we just read, the church was born, the church started to grow. One of the church leaders named Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to a group of brand new followers of Christ as they no doubt were dealing with unexpected twists and turns in life. And here's the encouragement he gave to them in the New Testament book of Ephesians. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. So the same power he's saying that raised Jesus from the dead is available. So the greatest power is available to you in your worst possible moments. So does that mean everything's gonna be okay in life? No, it doesn't. What it does mean is for those who believe he was talking to, those of you who believe you need to know you don't have to live a defeated life. You don't have to live a confused and chaotic life because the same power for those of you who believe that brought Jesus out of the grave is available to you today even when life takes a turn for the worst. So December 25th, 2009, my husband, my son, my three-year-old, and I were in a car accident. And my three-year-old ended up with a traumatic brain injury. I remember I looked over my shoulder and I saw the back glass was gone. And I could see the top of our trunk crumpled. I could see that through the, the opening in the back. But I could hear Wayne screaming outside, my boy, somebody help my boy. If you had asked me, was there ever a point when God was not there, if you had asked me that during that first week, 
I could have told you. Um, where was he? You know, he could have stopped me spinning. He could have, you know, he could have stopped this from happening. He could have reminded me to move John's seat into the middle seat instead of the instead of behind the driver's seat. He could have done all of these things. He knew that this was going to happen, and he didn't stop it. Um, we had all those sorts of arguments, God and I. We have been in and out of hospitals. We've had to get used to nurses, aides, therapists, equipment guys, equipment fixing guys, maintenance guys coming in and out of our house all the time. Um, we've had dogs in and out of the house for therapy reasons. So we've had everything that I was that was our nice structured life is gone. Between the time of the accident and the time that he was able and stable enough to have his skull replaced, he had what was called hypothalamic storms. And it was just fits of constant strength, just constant screaming. And there were days where it might have just been two or three of them, and I could just sort of pat him and, you know, just kind of breathe and, you know, get through it. And then there were days where I said, God, I can't do this. I cannot do this. I am not smart enough to do this. I don't have enough energy to do this. And he said, yes, you do. And he would, on the days, and even after the storms, even after he got the skull replaced and the storm stopped, there are days where I'm just like, seriously? I mean, what more do you want from me? And every single time he'll say, trust me, this is what I need for you to do. He said, you have no idea what I'm doing with this. And every single time, he just he gives me that little bit of encouragement and says, this is bad, but I'm using this. You have no idea how many people are following John and following his story and how many people you, how many people are looking at you right now. It has been a constant, Jenny, you're not going to understand this. You're going to have to trust me. And God and I have gone back and forth, arguing. Some maybe not quite so respectful things have been said. Um, And the whole time he has just said, you're not going to understand this. I need you to trust me. And he has all along the way pointed out where he has been in all of this. And he has pointed to specific people and specific events as to where he was in all of this. And um, every day that we were at the hospital, my mom would bring me a verse to hang up in John's room. And the one that that I clung to the most was, um, be still and know that I am God. Or as God puts it, Jenny, shut up. You're in my way. Move. Ever since the accident, there have been good days and bad days. And five years out, there are way fewer bad days than there there used to be. I mean, it used to be I might get one good day where I didn't just want to crawl in a hole somewhere. 
I might get one good day in two or three weeks. And now I've got weeks and weeks and weeks of good days before I'll have a, holy crap, what is going to happen to my kid? Um, because I do think about, you know, he's getting bigger. I'm not. Um, eventually, I'm not going to be able to take care of him. Will he be able to walk? Will he be able to talk? Will he be able to, you know, just sit up by himself? Will he be able to, uh, you know, do anything for himself? Um, and I don't know. And there are days where that gets really heavy. And he tells me, he's like, Jenny, it's going to be hard. It just will. But I'm not going anywhere. Um, and so every time, and there's never been a time where I'm like, okay, where are you? Because this doesn't make any sense. He's always right there. And he's always telling me, it's going to be okay. It's, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to like a lot of it. But I will make it happen. It's going to be okay. And every time we have hit a, well, what do we do with this? Well, what do we, it's always been okay. So even in the middle of what you might think is the most difficult time in life, God's presence can be with you even if you don't feel it. To Mary, Jesus said, I'm here. It's me, Mary. I'm alive. To Jenny and the Moorfield family, God through his word says, be still and know that I'm God. Know that I'm in control. And to you, he says, you may not feel me, but I'm here. Anytime that you want to turn, change the way you think, and realize I'm here. When I was about 10, 11 years old, my dad had this big van, like a, you know, had captain's chairs in the front of it. And he would let me drive. I called it driving. It was steering. But he would let me sit beside of him and take the wheel. And this went on for a long, it felt like years. I don't know how long he allowed me to do that, but he, he always let me do that. And one day, we're driving along the interstate, and I've got the wheel, and I'm like, I am awesome. I cannot wait to tell my friends about this. And I look down, and my dad's hand is on the bottom of the steering wheel. It's like, what? I thought I had this all on my own. But his hand was there. His hand was there because... What if something unexpected ran in the road? What if I stopped paying attention and made a mistake and ran off the road? His hand was there to make sure that we were safe. You may not feel like God is anywhere to be found right now, but He is. Even if you don't feel Him. And you may feel like there's no hope left. And you may have even said to yourself, it's over. Well, if you can go, can everybody do that? It looks like you can. It's not a real long service. It looks like everybody can still breathe. Then there's hope. As long as you're breathing, you can have God's presence with you no matter what. No matter what's going on. And these words from the Apostle Paul, I pray that you'll understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. 
That is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. May you feel that today as we celebrate this resurrection of our King. Let's pray. God, thank you for this reminder from the life of Mary, from the life of the Moorfield family that you are with us. Thank you for walking with us when life turns out in our worst case scenario. And God, I want to, in a special way, pray for the people here today that are dealing with that right now. May they believe like Mary did. May they find hope in your presence, even in tragedy, like Jenny did. And may they find the power that's available because of your resurrected son. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.